0: It's great to see all of you this morning, and I'm really excited about this message. This is going to be the first of a three-part series that will lead right into Resurrection Sunday, otherwise known as Easter, okay? In two weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. It's on the 16th, I believe that's the day, and uh, we're going to actually focus heavy on that weekend on the resurrection. I call it the third day. Everybody say the third day. So the third day is something that was often missed by the disciples, and in many occasions, Jesus would talk about death, the cross, what he was about to go through, and that he was gonna rise again on the third day. But the disciples would constantly miss what he was trying to say, because the fear was on the death component, the fear was on the loss of identity, the fear was on the loss of their own kingdom, all that they had forsaken in the natural. They'd left their father, they were fishermen, they'd left their career, they'd left everything to follow Jesus. And now, years later, Right before Jesus goes to Jerusalem to get crucified, he starts telling them on multiple occasions that he's gonna be mocked and scourged and crucified. And the disciples just begin to manifest. Everybody say manifest. manifest. Manifest means to exhibit or demonstrate. You can manifest something good or manifest something bad. And in the disciples case, they were manifesting what was inside of their heart. It was contention, it was strife, it was division. It was jockeying for promotion and position. Kind of sounds a lot like the Western Americanized church to me. Now, not all churches are that way, but unfortunately, if you've grown up in any kind of religious dysfunction, you've seen where people are constantly moving and jockeying for position, and there's this constant desire to be promoted and to have authority. It's still prevalent in the churches today, and it can subtly be prevalent in our own hearts, where we want to find our identity in what we do. Where do I fit in? Where's my value? They don't care about me. The church doesn't notice me. God's not interested in me. I've been so faithful and nothing's happening. These are the lies that the enemy tells you. And this is the lie that was born in our heart from the beginning. This is the life that we were all born with before we get born again. So Jesus would use this comparison and he'd say, if you love your life, lose it. And if you hate it for my name's sake, you'll find it. And what Jesus is talking about is two kind of lives. Everybody say, two kind of lives. (laughs) Now, I have you guys repeat so we can interact a little bit. Okay, I'm I'm not treating you like children, but I'm having you say it so that it gets inside of you. Sometimes when you say it and you repeat it, it actually sticks a little bit more. And if I can get you to understand this two kind of life thing, man, it'll set you free. Because the life that we're born with is the psyche life. That's the life of our own carnal mind, wills and mind, will, and emotions, the way we think, the way we process, and an innate carnal nature that was passed down from the garden. Now, if you haven't read your Bible a lot or you're new to church or have just come back, you may not fully understand that, which will also be difficult for you to understand why Jesus had to die on a cross. It can be very foreign to understand the concept of sacrifice. You start talking about sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, dying on a cross. He died for your sins. To somebody that doesn't read the Bible and doesn't have any understanding, that can be like talking Chinese, right? And so what we do here is we help you to understand the purpose of sacrifice. We help you to understand how man got astray and why we see so much darkness in the world. I get asked that question all the time by family members and other people that don't know the Lord. If God is good, well, then why did this happen? Why, did, why do children die? Why do we see death and destruction? Why do we see the wars that we see? Why do we see so much darkness in the world? And the simple answer, which can can really be complicated for a lot of people, but it's very simple to understand, is that mankind got infected with a virus and a disease in the garden that never left. And now through Adam, it was born into every single person. Say, well, a child is so innocent. A child is innocent enough that God forbid, if they died, they would go to heaven. And there's a lot of innocence to a child, but just hang around a two and a four year old for a little while, start playing around with toys. And next thing you know, we're going to see some carnal nature. It's not that complicated. I didn't teach my two-year-old to hit, bite, scratch, kick, scream, fight, take possession, be jealous, and compete for their little Shopkin toy. We didn't have a class on how to be jealous and envious. I didn't teach my children to be destructive. They just somehow figured it out at two. So the point I'm trying to tell you is don't overcomplicate this thing. Through Adam, through the garden, which is not a myth, it was a reality. Through Adam and through the garden, man has a nature or a life that needs to be recreated. Okay? It has to be recreated. And that's why Jesus said, unless you be converted and become like a child, you can't see or experience the kingdom of God. The word converted has a couple meanings. From a scientific standpoint, it means change from one image to another a conversion process. You mix chemicals together to create something else or compound medications to create something else. But in the Bible, conversion means to go back to the beginning. Everybody say back to the beginning. So when Jesus said, unless you be converted and you go back to God's original intent for your life, you're never going to experience all that God has for you. And the only way to get back to the beginning and to be converted, to become like a child is to be born again. That's why when Jesus said, there's two lives, if you hate, if you love the one that you have now, you're ultimately gonna lose it. Because I taught this many times, you don't break God's laws, they break you. Just keep going your own way for a long period of time. And at some point you'll wind up broke, busted, disgusted, sick, unhappy, or you'll use money and medications to numb out your pain. And then if you're not careful, you'll fall into the deceptive lie and think that the rich and the wealthy have it all made with no problems and they seem to have it all easy. Read Psalm 73, you should write that down. (laughs) Write down Psalm 73. If you at all get sidetracked with thinking that the world and the wealthy have no problems, that's what David did. And then David, King David said, I've come to the Lord in vain. This is a waste of time. Look at how good the wealthy on the island seem to have it. They got all the money and all the wealth and look at little old me. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm struggling, striving just to love Jesus and live right. And it's so hard and I've got to be faithful and I'm restricted by the Holy Spirit. And I've got to, I got to push my flesh down and I'm in this process of dying to self and it's so hard. And David said, I'm suffering all day long. And then he says, it was a waste of time. I know people that have walked away from the Lord, believing that lie. So David would get a lightning strike from the Lord in Psalm 73 and said, when I tried to understand it, it actually tormented me day and night until I stepped into the courts of the living God. And stepping into the courts of the living God is a supernatural experience. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we're all going to have this translated experience where suddenly I was in heaven and I got to see everything around the throne. I've never actually had that happen to me, though I have visions of it. There's times when I'm playing the drums where suddenly I feel like I'm taken out of this dimension and I'm playing for the procession of the king. And I feel like like one of my positions in heaven is gonna be a drummer when he comes in with the train of his robe that's filling the temple. Now these are personal experiences for me, but I can't tell you I was actually having an out of body experience. I just see a vision because my mind is tuned in to the things of God. Everybody say the things of God. And we're going to talk about the contrast today of the things of God versus the things of man. Amen. Because the things of God and the things of man are two different things, right? Yeah. Yes. And so today, if we can get our minds off the things of man, suddenly we can have a shift and we can start to see and understand and stop living in comparison mode. Okay. That's what David did in Psalm 73. He was comparing his Christian life. Well... He wasn't technically a christian but he had the holy spirit jesus hadn't come yet but the point is for today comparing our lives of trying to live right and be faithful and lay our lives down and love him versus the way that the world is materialistic lifestyle dog eat dog world climbing the ladder of success that's the world's way jockeying for position competition strife division now i added this to my message this morning because I felt like the Lord told me to. And I wanna bring this up. It's Luke chapter 12, because this is gonna really tie into what the Lord is saying about going to the cross and going to Golgotha. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Now, just prior to this, Jesus is talking about the ravens of the field the, or the lilies of the field, the ravens of the air and how he feeds them and clothes them. And even in your best day, it's not as good as those lilies and he loves you so much more. And he says this, he says, don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink. The point is don't even stop pursuing after your personal gain or the things of man. We're gonna keep talking about the things of man today. He says, because what happens is it produces an anxious mind. And anti-anxiety medications are like top prescribed medications in the nation right now. And we're anxious. And when I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm nervous, Man, the tendency to wanna to check out on drugs and alcohol, movies, pornography, all the cares of the world that say, it's okay, cause this is about you. You need your time right now and your mind is spinning and you're worried and you're nervous how I'm gonna make my next paycheck and where I'm gonna find my next job from. I've lived there and been there. This isn't just hype. I've lived paycheck to paycheck and loving Jesus, not knowing where my next job is gonna come from. I know what it's like to barely make rent or to be late on your rent over and over and over and over again. I know what it's like to be, treated, mis, to be treated poorly or to be mistreated by an employer and to feel like, God, what in the world's happening? I don't understand. And over time, the Lord has brought me to a place where he says, trust me and have faith because Jesus concluded that the little dialogue right before this by saying, if, you're, if God so clothes the grass, this is verse 28, if you wanna go back, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more does he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So he ties directly, he ties faith directly into your pursuit and your desire of what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear and what tomorrow looks like. Faith is the key. And God wants to refine you and bring you to a place where you have more faith and you trust him like never before. What are they gonna do? Take your house? take your car, but they can't take your faith. They can't take your heart. That's right. That's right. And if you could come to a place of total trust and surrender with your kids, your family, your future, I'm telling you the results you're gonna see are supernatural. It's a resurrected lifestyle. Amen. So the David Bendet you're looking at right now is a resurrected man but it took a lot of dying to get here. And you know what, it took some dying this morning and it'll take some dying tomorrow and the next day. I'm in a process, a constant process, and so are you of dying daily. That's why Paul said, I die daily. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So it's this constant reminder of laying your life down. Now in the Western Americanized church, this isn't a very popular message. When I start talking about the cross, death, lay your life down, it's not about you. That's not like the, the, the message that grows mega churches. That's right. But let me tell you what it does do is it advances the kingdom and it wakes you up and it brings you back to what matters the most. And then when you get on fire, the person next to you and your family and your kids gets on fire. And next thing you know, when you do the kingdom right, it inevitably grows and you defy the Western Americanized church growth model. That's what I'm saying. So look what Jesus says. He says, all the nations of the, by the way, if you go back to that scripture, verse 29, the word anxious in the Greek is the word meteorite. It means you become a detached rock with no stability, flying through darkness and whatever you land on, you're gonna smash. That's what it means. That, and the opposite of that, by the way, is, the, is Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. I'm giving you a lot. Take some notes today. And he says, when the, when the virgins fell asleep, as soon as the trumpet cry came, they, they got up and they trimmed the wick of their heart. The word t- for trimming the wick of your heart is the understanding of cosmos and that he puts everything in your life and he adorns you and he puts it in order. So this is the thing. If we're not walking in faith and trusting the Lord and pursuing our own personal gain, our, what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear, promotion position or identity... In what we do, finding our value in what we do, will become like an anxious meteorite. I've taught that before. And so Jesus says, verse 30, all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. But if you seek the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6:33 says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. seek first. Now, God wants to raise you up. He cares about you. He wants to give you a name. So I understand very well this thing that it's not about you, but at the same time, it is about you. Because if you become a son and a daughter or you're a son and a daughter, he wants to make your name great. But what he wants to do is remove out pride. He doesn't want you to be prideful. That's why at Rock City Church, we don't prematurely promote people. In fact, we're slow like molasses slow. I have no one else right now, technically, except for Jeremy that has the, the pastor position because he's the youth pastor, Three over three years. Now that's gonna change. We're gonna be ordaining some people and promoting people because they've done the job, they've been faithful for so long that if they've demonstrated the nature, therefore the title comes with it. So we have too many people with title that don't have the nature. And what I want you to understand is that God does wanna promote you. He does wanna use you. He wants to use the gifts inside of your life. If, you're not, you, if the gifts inside of you are dormant and they're not being used, you know what happens? Sorry, I keep stepping on your foot. Just, your feet are so long. Sorry. Was that an insult? I'm so sorry. Good thing we're family. You're secure about your feet, good. So what happens when the gifts inside of you are not being utilized you don't reproduce, you become spiritually impotent, meaning that there's no reproduction. So yes, God wants to raise you up. Yes, God wants to use you. Yes, there's a destiny and a promise inside of your life. Yes, there's gifts inside of you that we need to pull out, but we got to root out pride, selfishness. We got to root out jockeying for position, finding your identity and what you do instead of who you are. That's why at Rock City, we, one of our mottos here is you aren't what you do, you do what you are. Meaning that out of the nature of what's inside of you, that is what you will do because that's who you are. Okay? And so Jesus wants to work those things out of your life. And I wanna make sure here at this church that you've really come to a good understanding of your identity as sons and daughters, and that you have a burning passionate love for people and that you're willing to lay your life down fully. And then the Lord promotes you. You get promoted here, there, everywhere. Wherever you're at, the Lord can promote you and use you because now he's found a vessel that says, this isn't about me, I'm surrendering everything to you. So today's the topic of today's message as we head to Golgotha next week, and then as we have the resurrection, the, the topic of this message is laying your life down and having a heart and a mind towards the things of God versus the things of man so that you're not a detached rock and anxious meteorite. Verse 32, do not fear little flock for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to promote you and he wants to see you become everything that he has in store for your life, okay? So today we're gonna talk about the road to Golgotha. Jesus is slowly making his way to Jerusalem (coughs) where he clearly knew what was about to happen to him. Jesus had insight, which is accurate and deep intuitive understanding. And he would share that specific insight with his disciples three times. Everybody say three times. So let's look at the first time that Jesus would give insight to the fact that he was what was about to happen and that he was headed to Golgotha. By the way, just real quick side note, I may talk about this next week. Golgotha means skull. The word in the Greek is Calvary, just so that you know. The reason why Jesus was crucified on Golgotha was because he would reverse the curse from the garden, which the garden was infected by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is intellectual understanding. So Jesus would reverse the curse and reverse everything that took place in the mind and in the skull by dying on the cross. He would reverse the curse, okay? So the road to Golgotha is Jesus prepping the disciples to fully lay their lives down so that they could become everything he wanted them to become, okay? Let's look at the first one. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. Jesus began to teach them that the son of man, which by the way, the son of man, Jesus is the only one that used this title as the son of man for himself. The son of man means that he is a full laid down servant that he came to serve not be served. Amen. I just want to remind you that because we're going to look at it in a minute. All right. He says, I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to be killed. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. He would, be, he would suffer, he would be rejected, he would be killed, and then he rise on the third day. And he spoke this word openly. The understanding of speaking the word openly means I'm not mincing my words. I'm making it so clear. There's no parable here. This isn't an analogy. I'm about to be killed. I'm about to be lied about. I'm gonna suffer. They're gonna mock me. They're gonna persecute me. They're gonna crucify me. I'm gonna die. I'm about to die. But on the third day, everybody say the third day, day. I'm gonna rise again. So he spoke the word so clear. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You know what the, the Greek word for things of men is? It's the word anthropos, and it's where we get the word anthropology. It's the study of humankind. The word for the, the things of God is the word theos, and the understanding of being mindful of something is the fact that I've set my mind in a particular direction. That's why Ephesians 4 is so powerful in understanding that how people get mental and spin off track is they walk in the vanity of their mind and they're constantly setting their mind towards their own opinions, not the word of God, not truth, nor are they settling on faith and love and the fact that God is a good God and Jesus loves you from an early age. And when you get sidetracked from an early age, what happens? You chase after other lovers. You wanna find comfort in the arms of another. You chase after drugs and alcohol and work and money and all these things to find your fulfillment. That's how anxiety comes in. And once you have an anxious mind, it's a slippery slope. Your heart gets hard. You get blinded, you can't see clearly, you can't process c- clearly, and then you stop feeling anything anymore. But Jesus reversed the curse. <clears throat> and if anybody here has gotten mental or feels like they're mental or has spun out in drugs and alcohol and chasing other lovers, I'm pointing at myself. I have firsthand account. I'm not doing it now, thank God, but I've done it before, so I understand it really well. And what I understood is, is that when I chase after Grateful Dead concerts, trip and acid, smoking pot, thinking that I could shoot lightning bolts from my fingertip, meditating on crystals, twirling glow sticks and fire sticks, thinking that I was something really super spiritual, and constantly chasing after those things. It brought me to the end of myself. And then when I tasted the true love of the Father and something better, I never went back. And the problem is, is too many people haven't tasted. That's why you need a power encounter from the Holy Ghost. You need prophecy. You need... Demons cast out of your life. You need the lies and deception broke out of your life. And so check this out. How do you know if the devil's involved in your life? He's got you so sidetracked and consumed with yourself. What was the telltale sign for Jesus to figure out? Now, Peter wasn't Satan. And I don't even think that Peter was possessed. I think what was happening was that the devil was right there trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling his purpose. And he used a disciple or a family member or a close friend to try to keep him back. And Jesus recognized the minute that you become mindful of yourself, the minute that you start living in an anthropology mindset, where it's all about you and your mind is going in your own direction. Remember what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear, how you're gonna live, the clothes, all those things, the nations of the world chase after. We looked at that. So Jesus could figure out pretty quickly the influence of Satan, how? Because it was all about me. It was all about myself. I love you all so much. I want you to know that. This is a battle and a fight we can all do together. I'm not Mr. High and Mighty super spiritual. What I do is I invest my life and have laid it down for you, for the kingdom, for my family and every purpose that he has in store. And I'm willing to sacrifice anything to make sure that I know him and experience him daily. And I'm gonna tell you again, if I can do it, you can do it. And I love my wife and I love my kids, but they don't come before Jesus. He's gotta be my number one. Now they're like this far. I mean, they're so close to each other, you would need a microscope to see the difference of how close they are for me, okay? But when you come to the place of realizing your life's not your own and you lay it down for everyone else, suddenly, everybody say suddenly, Suddenly. something happens. So you're gonna see the contrast here with three times that Jesus says, I'm going to the cross and three times the disciples manifested. Who's the greatest? Can I sit at your right hand and left? Or no, certainly not. Why would Peter not want Jesus to fulfill what he was supposed to fulfill? Because Jesus had left, or I'm sorry, Peter had left everything in the natural, dropped his nets. The disciples had dropped their nets, left their family, but in their heart, they were still looking for something to happen and a kingdom be set up so they could be promoted and have their own position. Before I came to know Jesus, there's a place in South Miami where I was living called Coconut Grove. Coconut Grove has all these incredible shops, really nice place, great restaurants, a great live music. It's really a neat place if you ever go to South Florida. And back in the day, I would hang out in front of this little silver and crystal shop and play drums in drum circles with tie-dyes on. This was, you know, 1980s, late eighties, early nineties. Okay. And I had a friend that owned this little silver shop and he was Jewish, a great guy, his name's Avi. And I love Avi a lot. And Avi really loved me. And we had really hit it off back in those days. Well, after I came to know Jesus, I went back years later because I was fascinated about Judaism. And I would ask him, He'd teach me all this stuff about Judaism. But then I would start to teach him about the Bible and about the Messiah. And he says, you know, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes back, he's gonna restore the kingdom. He's gonna come on a white horse. It's gonna be, be a full restoration of the kingdom. I said, but don't you understand the Messiah had to suffer and die first? He goes, no, he didn't. I said, yes, he did. You never read Isaiah 53, which we may teach on next week. You should all read it going into uh, the next few weeks. Yes. He goes, no, we were never taught to read Isaiah 53. Yeah, right. So you have to understand that the disciples' mindset in a Messiah, they all knew a Messiah was coming. But the Messiah certainly wouldn't be led like a lamb to the slaughter and have to suffer and come in riding on a donkey, right? So as soon as Jesus says, I'm gonna suffer and die, Peter's like, heck no, you're not. But really he was also being influenced by the enemy. So Jesus would say, get behind me Satan. He was speaking spiritually to the demonic influences that caused Peter to think about himself. And you know how the enemy influences you today? It doesn't necessarily mean you got a little devil sitting on your shoulder, always whispering in your ear, though it could mean that, it could mean that. But what it does mean is that the God of this age wants you to live like the world lives and like this age lives. Materialistic possessions, personal gain, promotion, position, and finding my value based on what I do instead of who I am. And in the kingdom of God and at Rock City Church, I'm not gonna let you do that if you stay here. A lot of people come, there's some of you been sitting in this church for a year and you haven't volunteered or done anything yet, but (laughs) excuse me, but you've grown so much, you're coming alive. And as you come alive and as you start to sprout out of the ground, then at some point you have to start to serve others so that you can reproduce and ultimately become everything that God destined you to become. And we just gotta find the process. There's not a, a timeline on it. It's not like in 90 days, you better be a grapefruit tree so that I can start using you. <laughs> now at the flip side, some of you have been coming for a long time and you hear and you hear and you hear and you hear, and there's no action to what you're hearing. And you say, I don't know what's up with that church. That church is so slow. I don't know anybody there. I'm not getting used. You've gotta get actively, actively involved. I make so many ways for you to get involved in this church. Let me just tell you. My wife hosts a mom's group every two weeks for moms that are pregnant or up to kindergarten age. Marlene has a women's meeting like all the time. I can't even tell you, men meet every single week. I've got a class with 75 people called ROI. My, my intercessors and in prayer meetings twice a month. And anybody can come to that and just learn and be around people that love to pray. We are a busy, busy church. We make so many avenues and outlets for you. And then when it comes time for me to say, you know, I really need a marriage and family pastor. I need a couple that really is doing marriage and family really, really well. I say, Marlene, Doug, are there any marriages in this church that are really, man, they're just rocking on fire that you see and you've seen the the mom or the dad that's really been actively involved? He goes, no, I'm not really seeing anybody. That's a problem. The way that I identify how we promote people is by you being actively involved in us seeing you, watching you, I watch your worship, I watch the transformation in your life. Here's a man right here that's got an anointing on his life that's supernatural to change the nations. the the anointing on this guy's life right in front of me is so powerful But if he doesn't learn to fully decrease and keep enjoying the road that he's on right now, and if I don't get a vision for it, along with the leaders, he'll prematurely get back into a position and he doesn't wanna do it anymore because he's been down that road. And when the day comes that God releases the two of you together, it's gonna be a million times better than it was before because it'll be his original intent. You'll be converted back to the beginning of who you were supposed to be. And there's an anointing on it and it's you too. And it's you and it's all of you. I'm not just singling out one because I know a little bit about him. I see promise and destiny in every single one of you. The problem is, is most people will not pay the price to lay their life down. Most people want the promotion because of your gifts instead of God highlighting you and raising you up because you've come to the cross and laid your life down. And there's, there needs to be more pastors and more churches that are slow. And instead of just filling a position because there's no worker there, we say, you know what? I'll go with a gap there for a while until I find the right person. And then when Jeremy and Lauren come along, I say, you know what? God's highlighted, God highlighted to Ryan, other leaders sought, promoted. Now they're fully flourishing and functioning, leading 20 junior high students just down the shopping center. And they love it because it's who they are. And I never have to micromanage them or tell them to do anything. And so now they start having 12 hour prayer sessions that were not my idea. And suddenly there's art, art in, the, in the room and communion and worship. And suddenly people are going to the streets on treasure hunts prophesying and none of it was my idea. Imagine that. Are you following me this morning that the understanding is you've got to get mindful about the things of God. The mindful component is that you're putting your mind in the right direction. Let's pull that scripture back up. It's verse 33. You can't be mindful about yourself. It's a battle. It's a process, but we can do it. And the way that you do it is to, to come to the cross and lay your life down. Now, I wanna, I wanna share the contrast with you. The contrast is death or self-preservation. The contrast is mindful of the things of God versus mindful of the things of man, okay? Now, right after this scripture, so I'm leaving a lot of scripture out because I wanna try to end early today. I did last service and it was a miracle. It was a miracle. <laughs> They're just like, man, we love, so glad you ended early. I'm like, sheesh, thanks. All right, so here's the only way I'm gonna end early is if I give you scripture to take home and study. Can we do that? Will you guys do that? So right after this, in the last section of Mark chapter 8, Jesus goes on to say several critical things. Number one, if you want to be my disciple, there's three things required. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. And you do all those three things in tandem. Then he goes on to say, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, we often talk about that scripture like who dies with the most toys wins, materialistic, I want to be rich. Lose that thought. Gaining the whole world is the mindful of the things of man. It's the spirit of the age, a materialism. And it doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have money. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to promote you. Take it from me. The point is, is you first seek the kingdom of God every day of your life, and then all things are added to you. What good is it if you have millions of dollars and you're living miserable with pressure and stress all the time and you can't sleep at night? The point is, is that God doesn't want money to have you. He wants you to have it. Yeah. So he deals to everybody a measure of talents, some two, some five, some 10. And the point is, or one, two, five, whatever the numbers are. I don't remember right now, but the point is, is that God gives you a little so that you can be faithful with it and expand it. That's what he wants you to do. He wants to expand you. Okay. So he would talk about, not pursuing and trying to gain the world, which in turn causes you to lose your soul. That's what happens. And then not being ashamed of him in this generation, that's all at the end of Mark chapter eight, okay? Now I just wanna tell you what happens in Mark chapter nine. At the beginning of Mark chapter nine, you have the mountain of transfiguration. For those of you that haven't read the story for a while, or maybe have never read the story, the mountain of transfiguration, it's Mark nine, two through 10. In the mountain of transfiguration, right after this, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three disciples up to a mountain. And on the mountain, he's transfigured, meaning that his form and the appearance is completely changed. He starts shining like this incredible bright light, like lightning, his clothes are white as snow. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appear and they start having a conversation. Now, how crazy is that? Imagine, jesus is telling you i'm about to die lay your life down don't be anxious for the things of this world and then he takes you up onto a mountain and he suddenly you have this supernatural incredible experience with him and there's moses and elijah and jesus having a conversation what would you do here's what i think i would do i think i would be like man i'm gonna soak this in and just sit down and be quiet. That's what I think I would do. I don't really fully know what I would do, but what I would wanna do is just, man, I wouldn't want a minute of it to go by. I would be like, soak it in, but not Peter. I want you to look at what Peter does in Mark chapter 9, verse five. Then first of all, if you read this scripture, no one ever asked Peter a question. Really, if you read it, it's like, there's. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking to themselves. And you're gonna see here in a minute that Peter was so self-conscious and he was so afraid that he just felt like he had to talk and he felt like he had to make something happen. He didn't know what to say, he didn't know what to do. So Peter answers and says this, it is good for us to be here. Now just put yourself in that position for a second. I have finally arrived. I got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Transfiguration, here comes the kingdom. This is it. There's no suffering thing about to happen. Forget what Jesus just said. I want you to put yourself here in for a minute. And instantly Peter says it is, this is a good thing. I've got my promotion. Finally, dropping those nets by the water was worth it. Because now after forsaking all, I finally have arrived. This is a good thing. we've got our promotion. I made it to the top, and he says let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for elijah and there's some mis there's there's a little bit of misunderstanding of what was meant here that Peter was maybe trying to you know create little things of worship for each of them. What I think was happening was that Peter was so self absorbed that it was so much about him that it's like, finally, I found my office. You guys need some office space here too. I mean, think about it. I always wanted the office with the window on the top floor. Now I went to college in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Oral Roberts University. And right next to Oral Roberts University are three buildings called the City of Faith. It used to be a hospital that Oral Roberts had started way back in the day. And I don't know, the one, ta- one tower's 37 floors, one is 75 floors, and another one's, I don't know how many floors, three of them. This is in Tulsa right now. And I said to myself when I started going to Oral Roberts University, that when I got my business degree, one day I wanted to work in one of those top floors with, an off- with a window view. Do you know that I actually got that? I got promoted with the pharmaceutical insurance company and moved to the 37th floor of one of those towers with an office view. And looking back, it's like, that was cool. But it it's so minute. Who cares? Right? I look back, and am like, who cares? But, but that's because I've changed. That's because I'm not the same person I once was. But Peter's thinking to himself, man, this is a good thing. I finally arrived. Let's set up some office. We need to stay right here and never move, right? Talk about being mindful of himself, you know? All right. So let's look at insight number 2. Okay? Insight number 2. <clears throat> You'll always remember these three times because it goes Mark 8:31, then it goes Mark 9:31, and then it goes Mark 10:32. <laughs> I just know it's right after 31. I look for patterns like that. So here's the insight number 2. Then they departed from there. So this happens right after this. Then they departed from there and they passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and he said to them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they're gonna kill him. And after he's killed, he's gonna rise on the third day. But they didn't understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Now check this out. They didn't understand and they're afraid to ask him. In Matthew, in Matthew, it says, uh, Matthew 17:23. it says they were exceedingly sorrowful. So they were greatly afraid and they were exceedingly sorrowful. But let me tell you what you don't know right now, is they're afraid to ask him about what he's talking about. And in the meantime, they're arguing amongst themselves of who's the greatest. Watch this, okay? Verse 33, then he came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, were you dis- what was it you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? And they kept silent For on the road, they were arguing or disputing amongst themselves about who would be the greatest. I know it can sound so silly, but you've got to understand the the battle that they were in. They were following Jesus. They they believe that he's the Messiah, but just not going to happen the way that they want it to happen. And all they're thinking about is themselves and who would be the greatest. Their position and their promotion. And so verse 35 says this he sat down, called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Out of fear, they were focused on themselves, constantly thinking about who was going to be the greatest, promotion, not understanding the fact that they must become servants of all. All means all. All means all. So everything that we do in our lives comes down to not just our families and our children, though those are our first priority after everything that the Lord wants to do in your life personally. You won't be able to lead your kids effectively if you're not having the experience for yourself personally. Okay? And so Jesus would say, listen, if you wanna be great, you gotta be a servant of all. In Matthew chapter 18, we have the same story, but a little, different addition to the scripture. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse two through five. I talked about this a little bit earlier. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, everybody say converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Conversion and humility like a child, as well as receiving the next generation are keys to everything that God has for you, okay? So let me help you understand a little bit. We keep our kids in here during worship. I see the kids get up on the stage a lot of times. They're giggling, they're laughing, and sometimes they can be very distracting. And they can be distracting a lot of times to other people that are trying to worship. They can be noisy, they can be loud, they can giggle, and they're not overly paying attention to what's happening in the room. And for some people, it really, really bothers them. But for me, I really love it and I love it because of this. And it doesn't mean I don't want, it doesn't mean that parents shouldn't be watching their kids. We don't want kids stage diving. We've already had kids fall off. My kids come home with rash burns on their face from falling down the the steps. First time you came, your son took a roll down the tumble. I mean, that's awesome, right? (laughs) But kids can hurt themselves and they can run around on the, and grab the, you know, trip on the cables. I get that. But I'm having the kids in here because I'm thinking about the understanding of imparting to and impacting the next generation. Amen. Because just sticking the kids in the back is never gonna fully teach them by example, what true healthy worship should look like. I want this to be normal. Yeah. This is normal for me. And I want my kids, I was watching my kids and so my son was, He doesn't know what he's doing you can't make a two or four year old worship i'm not going to make my kids lift their hands that's the last thing i ever want you to do but i teach him by example we're driving to school in the mornings my daughter knows the exact time on the route to school of when we pray and if we don't pray she goes daddy we forgot to pray i said oh gosh okay well let's pray i said lift your hands and sometimes she says i don't want to no problem i lift my hands Sometimes I say, you wanna pray? She says, yeah, and she prays and repeats after me. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And we kind of pray through the Lord's prayer. Real simple, real short, by the way. Simple short, okay? But sometimes I raise my hand and she's like both hands in the air and I just start crying. I'm not making her do it. I'm encouraging her to do it so that, but I want her to do it for herself. And my hope and my prayer is that if we train children up in the way that they should go, By example, they'll wanna do it for themselves. That's my hope and my prayer, right? And so think about this. Thank you, I appreciate that. So don't get offended with the fact that we keep the kids in here. I already know some people aren't gonna like it, but that's a choice that I have made because I want this scripture right here. I understand our focus has to be in passing the baton to the next generation. And that's what Jesus was saying, okay? And so you've gotta be converted. And become like a child. Now here's the third time that Jesus would say what was about to happen. And I really enjoyed this one. Let's read it. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. This is the third time Jesus would say what was about to happen. And Jesus was going before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. So two things were happening. They were amazed and they were afraid. One of the things that happens to you when you finally come to the place of living for yourself or or when you finally come to the end of living for yourself and laying your life down, or you decide to be born again, or you want to, but you're not sure what it's gonna look like. There's this amazement, but there's also fear. And the lie of the devil is, is that when you give up your old friends, your old lifestyle, and everything that you found your identity in, that you're not gonna have friends anymore, You're not gonna be popular anymore. Nobody's gonna like you, you're not gonna... There's this fear of giving up the old you. That's what I went through because I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have a church like this to go to, by the way. And so there's this fear of letting go that if you really let go, either one, you won't be able to stick with it or number two, you're not gonna find the value and the identity that you've always found before, okay? And the other thing that's happening is picture this, the disciples and an entourage of people are following Jesus. And I know that cause he just had a child come sit on his lap and here in a minute, somebody's mama's gonna come up and have a conversation with them. So they're walking, but Jesus is out front of them walking like this, cause he's a man on a mission to get to Jerusalem. He knows what's happening and it's intense. And he's out in front and the disciples are following, probably thinking, man, what is up with Jesus? He's so determined to get to Jerusalem. And they were amazed and they were afraid. Then he took the 12 aside. He stopped, pulls the 12 aside again, and he begins to tell them the things that would happen to him, verse 33. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. Notice the pattern. They're gonna condemn him. They're gonna deliver him. They're gonna mock him. They're gonna scourge him. They're gonna spit on him and they're gonna kill him. Notice the pattern. These are the things that the enemy wants to do to prevent you from fully accomplishing what God has for you. And the third day he'll rise again. But then James and John, the sons of Zebedee came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do this for us. Anything we ask, we want you to do. Can you imagine the brazenness of the disciples? They stop him. He's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, listen, anything we ask you is what we want you to do for us. They're self-absorbed. And Jesus says, says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, <clears throat> James and John stoop to an all-time low here, because when you bring your mama into the mix, let me tell you something. You wanna talk about manipulation? Look at this. This is Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. This is Matthew's account. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. This is like manipulation. If you bring the mama into the mix and it's like, man, pull on my heartstrings. And so the mama And James and John were constantly still thinking about position and wanting to sit at Jesus's right hand and his left hand. And that's what she asked in verse 21, that they would sit on each of his hands. In verse 22, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm able to be baptized? And I love the brazenness of the disciples. They're like, heck yeah. But little did they know what it really takes and what it really looks like. And there's so many people that sign up to be Christians, but don't understand what it means to be a disciple. There's so many believers that aren't laid down lovers that are being spirit led in every area of their life. And they come, but they don't understand there's a cup to drink and a baptism to be baptized with. And so Jesus affirms them. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be baptized with the same baptism and drink from the same cup, you will. But to sit at my right and left hand, that's only for the father to determine. And I wanna tell you, the father determines when you get born again, that you will get to sit at the right hand of Christ. He seats you in heavenly places. So you think, man, this is awesome. Yeah, you're gonna be able to do it. But look what happens still in verse 24. When the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You know what greatly displeased means? Offended, upset, angry, ticked off, And why are they ticked off? They're not probably ticked off just because the brothers and the mother went and asked Jesus, they're ticked off because they want that position themselves. It's this constant competition thing that the Lord wants to crucify inside of our lives. And here's how Jesus responds to it. Verse 25, Jesus called them to himself and said, basically, this is the way the world is. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it's not so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." You know what a ransom is? It's a payment for a hostage. And the enemy has worked so hard to keep so many people hostage through mental illness, depression, anxiety, addiction, adultery, fornication, chasing after the riches of this world and having a mind towards the things of man. And I love you all so much. I care about all of you, every single person in this room. I already know the world's system is to get you so consumed with yourself and your money, take it from me. I was in prison, I lived on the streets. I know what it means to go paycheck to paycheck. And God through his kindness and his grace and his mercy, and me putting him first and loving him as a, as a father and allowing myself to truly be a son through a lot of patience and a long time got me to where I am today. Amen. And I'm gonna tell you, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Yes. Yeah. He's not gonna forsake you. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. There's none of that going on. You don't have to jockey and fight for position. Promotion comes from the Lord. What God's really looking for is people that will lay their lives down fully and love him with everything that's inside of them. Get into their word and learn about him and hear his voice so you can fully know him. That's what the Lord's looking for. And the greatest thing out of all of this is the understanding of the third day. The third day is this. I know it doesn't sound so popular when I tell you, deny yourself, I mean, that's not like the most popular thing. But if you could come to the place where you say, you know what, I want what he wants and I'm willing to deny myself. I think I've got about four weddings on tap for this year of couples that have been living together that have gotten filled with the spirit by coming here. And instead of getting condemned and beat up and beat down, they finally come to the place and said, you know what, we wanna do what the Lord wants. And through premarital counseling and inspection, I got some already married right here, right now that came in living lives of sleeping together and living together. And that's okay because you know what? If I can get you where God wants you and the relationships what God wants through some inspection and some love, suddenly couples become supernaturally great. And when you're not living for the Lord and going your own way, of course you're gonna sleep around and live with others. That's what the world does. So now I call you guys higher. I call you further with tenderness and patience and love and kindness. I call you into relationship with other team leaders and family members, come to events, be visible, be involved. Go spend time with Jesus every day. You can do it. He loves you. If I'm having experiences, you will. I'm not better than you. I've just made a diligent determination to say, I want him before I wanna be a laid down lover. Cause I understand the great news is the third day. The third day is the great news. The third day is the resurrected you say the resurrected me with no anxiety, no mental illness, no more cutting, no more being angry, no more being offended, no more being ashamed, no more running your own way, no more drugs and alcohol, And now the things that you once really liked, you don't want them anymore because something changed inside of you, not through religious manipulation. So let's all stand. I'd like to ask my prayer partners to come up. You have been listening to a message from David Vendette, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.